one of the, the worst offensive days that you'll ever see. They have 69 yards total in this game. They're one of 10 on third down. They had eight play drive to start the game. Since Greg, they haven't gotten more than four plays in any drive. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. It's episode 150, some longevity, far more than we could say for the Texans run defence. It got steamrolled, bulldozed, whatever way you want to put it, by the Tennessee Titans yesterday. It was not a good game to discuss with you this week, but we've got a good guy to help us out. Um, Radio 610's own and TV's own. Mr. Brandon K. Scott. Brandon, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. And I would say the Turn Up for Watt podcast over the Texans runs defense right now. You guys, this podcast is better than the Texans run defense. I know that's a low bar and, and, and it might sound like a backhanded compliment, but at the very least, we can all feel good about whatever we're doing. It's better than the Texans run defense. We are all better at our jobs, I'm sure. Uh, Lovey said after the game they were shorthanded. Uh, shorthanded because of who and why and what? I don't know the answer to that one. I have that one for you. I've got that one for you. <laughs> they, they, they were shorthanded, okay? I think it's a poor excuse for how poorly they played, and I wouldn't use it as a reason for why they played so poorly. I think it's pretty weak to do so. Um, but to be fair, they were shorthanded. They, I mean, I'm, I'm looking out there at their second play of the game. Okay. The one where Derrick Henry goes for like 40 yards or 20. It was a, it was, it took two plays for Derrick Henry to have a chunk play. Right. And out there on your interior, you've got two rookies. They had Heinish, Kurt, they had Kurt Heinish and Thomas Booker out there together on the second play of the game. And I, and I think that's in part because they don't have a lot of confidence in any of those guys, any of the interior guys. And why would they? Right. I don't think any of us do. And Malik Collins was out and he is inarguably their best guy, their best interior guy, either it be against the run or the pass. Like he's far and away better than anybody else they have on the interior. And so if you wanted to point, if you wanted to make excuses, and I do not, but if you wanted to, you could point to missing your unequivocally best interior defensive lineman in this game. And that being part of the reason why you were so poor against the run. Now I would add that Nico Collins has played in previous games and they've also been really bad. I mean, we just saw what Josh Jacobs did to this defense um, the previous week. So it's a poor excuse, but it is technically true that they were shorthanded. And then I'm sure we'll get into the offensive struggles at some point as well. But Nico, I mean, I've, I'd written a column earlier in the week on SportsRadio610.com essentially declaring Nico Collins as their top wide receiver based off of just based off of this year alone. OK, obviously, we, we know Brandon Cooks is the more accomplished guy and probably their best receiver. But this year, I think that there is a case and a stronger case for Nico Collins as being the number one guy. So they're missing their number one receiver. They're missing their number one interior guy still not a reason to have you know 20 24 yards in uh 17 plays or whatever it was you know it was there were really weird numbers like that where you're like man this offense is is just awful and obviously they were letting derrick henry and 
Dante Hilliard, by the mm. way, have their way with them. Both of them were able to have their way with the defense. Yeah, and what was the what was the best comment or best tweet you had from when when you're in the press box or tweet you read about that game because Lovey looked abject, the team looked abject, and he by his own admission he said we weren't ready. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm. The best tweet that or I best saw. Best comment, somebody. You'd have to say who, but who shouted out in the in the press box and no, and well, sheer malice. I'll, t- I'll tell you this much. This, this I'll tell you what the theme of the press box was. You know, all of us sports radio six ten folks kind of sit over there in a corner together, um, to the to the far end of the sideline, and uh, but even in the common areas when we would see other media people, we to a man and woman were discussing: Is this the worst game that you've ever seen is this the word we all pretty much agreed and it took a while for us to get there but we all pretty much agreed this was the worst game that we'd ever covered in rg stadium in our time no matter what how much time whether we've been around one year two year three year four year five years 20 years this was right there with the worst game like in four is in terms of like embarrassment and ineptitude when you when you take any, everything into context that you were playing against a rookie quarterback who, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Malik Willis, Malik Willis looked like a rookie quarterback who was a project, which is what he is. Like he did not look like he was supposed to be out there starting an NFL game. And you weren't able to take advantage of that with your own offense. Like think about this, as bad as the defense was, as bad as the defense was, it's three to nothing in the second quarter. And, you know, you've got an opportunity there to still, like, put up some points. Like, <laughs> the Texans squandered in the beginning of this game a turnover on downs, a botched or a fumbled on a punt, and then their own interception that got them into the red zone, which they got three points out of. So, I mean, that's how this game started for them. You know, with all with all the context, you know, and they and that's and so that's how bad they were, you know, like this was to, to me perfectly set up for even a competent team. A competent team should have beaten the the Titans uh, on, on Sunday. Yeah, because any competent, yeah. any competent NFL. Because that was my big takeaway. I don't think Tennessee are particularly good. I just think when you look at the difference between the two teams, there's Derek Henry, quite a lot of nobodies, um, but they're just better coached. They understand situ- situational football. Um, they had a game plan that was very specific. And, you know, I tweeted it. I think they'll run it 55 times. They ran it 45. I think they threw it seven or eight times. Um, seven or eight times too many because every time they try to throw it, it caused them issues. So they're not, a, they're not a functional, rounded offense. But, you know, they churn up, you know, you know, Derek Henry's got over 100 yards and, you know, midway through the second quarter. So they're... What do you think? What was Lovey's game plan? What What was the offensive defensive game plan? Because I, I watched it back today and it was fucking horrendous to watch. Um, but I still didn't. I came out partly because he couldn't move the ball. But what was the game plan? What do you think they wanted to do yesterday? That's a really short conversation about if we're going to talk about Lovey's game plan. Like I, I've got a lot of respect for what Lovey Smith's accomplished over the course of his career, um, and, and and I think that he's worthy of some respect for that but in terms of like if we're just talking about his scheme in a vacuum and and game planning there ain't a lot to it right there's not a, there's, there's not a whole lot to talk about i mean it's cover two 
and it's line up and play. And I think that that was the game plan. The game plan was to go out there and match the Tennessee Titans level of physicality. And when you break it down, like it doesn't take, doesn't take a lot of uh, football X's and O's type. Like you don't have to be a, 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 a scheme expert to notice what was going on there yesterday. That, that was on both sides of the ball at that. You didn't mention Lovey, but on both sides of the ball, like even the, even the offensive line, but on, on both fronts, it was uh, to a man getting beat by the other man, you know, it like just from a physicality standpoint, they could not match it. Like I'm looking at the, uh, the touchdown, the, <laughs> it's funny, the, the second touchdown that they score, I guess that's in the third quarter. I believe. Yeah, fourth, the fourth and one. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's like, it's right there at the goal line. It's a goal line stand. They've done a great job on the previous play, Eric Murray, for all of the crap that I, you know, I know that my station has given Eric Murray, Murray over the last three years, and rightfully so because of the sign, you know, the signing was ridiculous and made no sense. But I mean, they benched Jonathan Owens at some point in this game and Eric Murray's out there and makes a hell of a play at the goal line to keep uh, Derrick Henry out of the, out of the end zone and, and to force a goal line stand there. And then they do the opposite, the exact opposite on the very next play, the exact opposite of resistance on the very next play. Whereas you or I could have been the running back and scored a touchdown on that play. Like everybody's pushed down and, and it's, I mean, it's bad. And then earlier in that drive, it, what really set that up, I think, was the Dante Hilliard uh, run, the long Dante Hilliard run, where Christian Harris either, I don't know if I should say he misreads the player, he's just in poor positioning, but he's in poor position. That's, I think that's fair enough to say. He's not in the right position, whiffs on the play, he's not able to get to the guy. He ends up making the tackle 40, you know, 40 yards later, um, <laughs> but it was just bad. It was really, really bad, and um, yeah. <laughs> what was the game plan? I think the game plan was to line up and play, and they clearly had more confidence in the guys up front than than any of us did. If they if they had any expectation of competing, because I mean, you're out there and you're just getting pushed around. I mean, let's just call it what it is. These guys got pushed around. They got bullied yesterday. Yeah, bully. It was an embarrassment. Yeah. I think that what I struggled with was a couple of observations I had. And I tweeted out last week, you're just going to have to put seven or eight men in the box every play, pretty much, unless it's a third and 15 plus, because there was a third and nine backed up on their own, under almost underneath their own goalposts. And they have a delayed handoff. And third and nine's converted by Don Trehillier, the guy who we had here, and let go. And it goes back to that point. I don't think Tennessee, particularly on paper, agree because how many rejects have they got from, you know, we, Demarcus Walker made a sack, Dylan Cole's out there making plays. Um, you know, the list is, is, is reason, you know, Randy uh, Bullock missing a field goal. The, 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 on the Derrick Henry uh, touchdown, the first one, okay, the, if you go back, I, I didn't notice this uh, from the press box, but I noticed it rewatching the game. Chris Conley is in there yeah, celebrating yeah, yeah. with <laughs> Yeah, Chris Conley. Chris Conley's in there the celebrating. The yeah. yeah. So yeah. when you look at look at them on paper, there's not they're just so much so much more well more coached than us. They can run the ball at a, a really solid clip. Pass protection is not great and you know they're not gonna hang with good teams that have got good edge rushers, but but the Texans particularly Pep Hamilton, I think as well, anything set 
anything more than second and four, he probably shouldn't be running it because we just can't afford to get behind the chains. Um, and I, and this team's probably got a three or four yard negative margin getting what they include and what they've used behind the chains because anything, be, you know, th- there is no downfield passing attack. Don't stretch the field. The defence just kept creeping, creeping up um, and they just couldn't run, they couldn't run the ball. And I, I, I put an article out during the week last week, Brandon, I said, they've got, how does the offence operate? Um, if you can't run the ball, the answer is it, it just can't. It just does not function in any way. It's first and second down to get you four or five yards and then hopefully you can make a couple of short gains and every so often you might scrape some points. But when you get the ball at the 11 and the 43 and only come away with three points, you're not going to win. And as simple as that, they got they got turnovers, still wasn't enough. Couldn't stay off the field. Tennessee ran down their throat. But the, point, the second point was you've got to stack the box and we're sitting against... Derek Henry, and we're in nickel. And you're like, these guys can't tackle. These guys aren't physical enough. We have no kind of box, kind of safety, kind of hard, you know, kind of hard downhill thumper in our team. It just doesn't exist. We don't have one. Um, and it just was a terrible, terrible, terrible kind of. It was a terrible watch. It, it, but I, I think when you were saying that about it's the worst game ever, I was like, well, yeah, it probably is. I mean, there's games where I've been more frustrated. I always think that Colts one when we were on that um, and the playoff and we lost at home, they were kind of in form luck was kind of coming back and that was the most frustrated I've been at a game ever but yeah watching that it's, you almost have an abjectness to it because you kind of half expect it but I think the, I suppose it begs the question Brad, has this team got worse from last year not on the scoreboard but to That's watch that, it, I think it's worse that, it's, an, it's another question that was asked in the press box you, once, you mentioned earlier asked earlier about the biggest tweet or observation of, of someone from the game, the conversations were, is this the worst game that you've ever seen or been a part of, you know, been to, followed closely? And is this team worse than last year? It was, my, it was actually my guy Cody Davis that, that, that from the Lock On Texans podcast who I, who's uh, – who was at the game with us as well mentioned mentioned that kind of in passing like man i think this team is worse than last year's and i haven't wanted, wanted to entertain that at all because i've been saying since the preseason since the draft really that i expected them to be better that that i expected them to make some incremental improvements just based off of the young talent alone you know just based off of the infusion of young talent alone i thought they would be better but in I'm not giving up on the rookies necessarily. It's not, that's not what I'm saying, but more so what, what seems to have materialized so far is that they're really only better at like one position or maybe or two positions. Like they're better. I think that the Texans are better at running back. Okay. With Damian Pierce and they're better at cornerback with the combination of Steven Nelson and Derek Stingley. But like, are, are they worse in some like I think they're worse at tight end like just just or, or not not in terms of, of of talent but the fact that they don't do anything with them at all like I think that they're wasting OJ Howard like it seems like every time they try to get him the ball good things happen but they don't do it nearly nearly enough I think the linebackers are much 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 worse um and Christian Harris has not really shown at least yet to be the difference maker that was the sort of the anticipation when it's like, oh, they're about to put Christian Harris out there, you know, and I'm someone who's excited about him, but that, but not after, not after that Titans game, you know, I was going to give him a pass for the Raiders game, his first game, but that Titans game, man, I, I mean, I just, 
I didn't see some of the, you know, like the athleticism and instincts that I was hoping to see based off of what I saw in college and the way that he's been kind of talked about and built um, leading up to this. So to answer your question, yes, like they, it feels like Davis Mills feels worse. Brandon Cooks is worse. Um, the, the linebackers are worse. The defensive line feels worse. Um, the offensive line doesn't feel like a lot better, like significantly better. Like they're like the offensive line might be better, but eh, what is that? I mean, that's not really saying much. And they have like critical mistakes, like critical moments. I think overall the line's been better, but they'll have like a, a critical penalty or give up a critical play. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it. I hadn't entertained it that that they could be worse. And sure enough, um, seven games in, they they look worse. They look, the, you know, the biggest thing that surprises me, that they look, the coaching seems worse. Yeah. Where, where does that leave? Where does that leave this coaching staff then? Because, I mean, when you when it, the camera zoomed, I don't know if you saw the, the broadcast for you back, but when the camera zoomed on him, there was, he's pretty cool in front of the camera, in front of pressure, Lovey. And I think that's been, we've kind of been sort of, not fooled, but certainly there's been a kind of, level of comfort because he's not been a bumbling idiot like the last head coach in front of the microphone but he looks he was he was pretty frank in his admission that it was not good enough on every facet of the ball which you know he has to say I suppose there's no option otherwise but just the look in his eye when he was on the field you knew you knew from very early on this game was and you know his, his exact words were we were never in it and that was evident for a, for a guy who's really cool, really kind of straight-faced. It was written all over his face yesterday, I thought, when he, when, he was, when he was watching the game there. And I don't know if that was a lack of ideas, an admission of defeat, or whatever it was, but that was the first time I looked at him and thought, you're out your depth here, potentially, in, in this new era of football. When the Texans want to be competitive, when they really want to start winning games and, and be serious, I think they are going to need a new coaching staff. So let's just start with that. I think they're going to have to get new, a new coaching staff, a, a preferably someone whose ideas are a little bit more progressive and along the lines of the way things are trending now in the NFL. Um, and I and I say that with respect to what Lovey Smith has done in his career, uh, but. I think when they want to be serious, they're going to need a new coaching staff and that when they are serious, they are going to get a new coaching staff. Do you think he could the, be one and done? Because games like yesterday, when you're one, five and one, well, hold it on to that tie. Well, this is, could well, he this, be done? This is what I'm getting yeah. at. This is what I'm getting at. I don't I don't know when they're supposed to be serious. Like, I know they're supposed to have, they, they still got the new picks from the Deshaun Watson trade. I know that they're supposed to have more money to be able to do stuff in free agency. But, like, is the expectation next year that they want to compete, that they are going to actually make some moves of substance, okay, not run it back with the free agents that you brought in last year when you knew you weren't going to do anything and, and, and just infuse the team with, with, with the young talent, but, like, actually spend some money on good players. And, and obviously what happens with this draft is consequential. So, like, I don't know what the expectation is next year. If, if, if they're content with running it back with Lovey Smith because they don't expect to be much better than they were, or have been this year. And then also the political element to it that's complicated 
the whole reason the whole reason why they hired Levy Smith in the first place, I think, is something that we all have to keep in mind when we get caught up in the football of it. Like, like for football reasons, we all kind of looked around and were like, "What are they doing?" Levy Smith, Josh McCown, like, what's they're wasting our time with all of this? You know, like, what's going on? And this is what they this is what they ended up going with because of how everything filled with the Brian Flores lawsuit. So the question is, can they, you know, with on the heels after hiring Lovey Smith on the heels of the Brian Flores lawsuit, can they therefore go back to back years, one and done firing a black a black head coach, which is an uncomfortable question, I know, for most people, but I think is a relevant one just based off of the fact that they went and did this to begin with. You know, like they got the, this lawsuit drops and they feel like they've got a, you know, and they've, they've done a one and done situation with a black coach and a black coach comes out there and has a lawsuit out there that's raising all these issues and then do it again, reinforces some of the points that are being made in that lawsuit. I don't know how much that actually plays into it, but I can't, I'd be naive to, to think that that's not a factor in the optics of it, given how they hired Lovey Smith. Uh, wouldn't play into, you know, the idea of firing this guy one and done and to, and to what end? Are you, are they, uh, again, going back to my original point, are they supposed to be competitive next year? Are they going to be good? Like to firing them for what, you know, um, like aside from like, we're looking at it and saying, Hey, this is not good. These guys don't look inspired. The game planning just looks kind of, you know, haphazard at best. Like they're just going out there, lining up and playing. The 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 offensive play calling is unimaginative. Guys aren't getting open. You know, like it just looks bad. But you know, what's the what's the expectation? What are they What are they trying to accomplish right now? I think is a is also a, like a relevant question. Yeah, and something that I, that I'd love to know the answer to. Yeah, I think you'll be here another year because, like, <laughs> I mean, ultimately within the within the confines of the league the salary cap's not in a great spot next year it's better but it's not in a great spot so like and even if you hit right at the top of the draft you're probably only going to be able to bring in four to five if you're lucky guys that can make a difference and that's not enough to improve this team regardless if you clear out and bring in new and, and, and even if every single signing you brought in was incrementally better in the way you've gone from uh, Mitchell who was on the other team yesterday uh to if you go incrementally better from Mitchell to Nelson, if you did that in every single position that you sign somebody new plus four or five difference makers, I still don't think it's enough. I think that so I think you know what's the point of bringing a new coach and who what new coach that's going to be credible and potentially successful is going to want that. But two questions that I had just running through my mind when you we were talking there. One, why do you think they've not been as competitive as they imagined they would be? Because where where does that where does that gap occur? Because that, that's that's I think a point I think is quite interesting. I mean, I think it I think it starts with Davis Mills and Pep Hamilton. To me, like I I thought that like I wasn't a big believer in Davis Mills, but I was intrigued by the way his season ended last year. I was accepting of the fact that he was going to be the guy that they were going to go with for this year. And if they were going to do that, I like the idea of pairing him with Pep Hamilton, who is of who speaks sort of the same language, the same language of, of offensive philosophy and scheme with their backgrounds from Stanford. Like, I felt like they come sort of come from the same place. And so I thought that if you were going to do 
some type of brief experiment with Davis Mills and try to build on what you saw from him in his rookie year, that pairing him with Pep Hamilton would be beneficial to him and that he would that we would see some improvement. We have not. We have not like Davis Mills has not really shown himself to be a difference maker. Um, and Pep Hamilton has not either. And to me, that is what is sort of the main, like most striking thing. I don't think we had a, a, a huge expectation from this receiving core of being like an elite receiving core. But as I mentioned earlier, Brandon Cooks feels like he's regressed or is disinterested or I don't I mean, I don't know. I don't want to put the disinterested label on him, but it just it just feels very different uh, with him out there. And so those are I would say those are three key you know, the guy who's supposed to be your best wide receiver, your quarterback, and your and your offensive coordinator just have not been, it's just been not good, lackluster. And, and to me, that's the biggest thing. Obviously, the defensive issues, they haven't been able to stop the run in three years, you know, and, and they're just as bad or, and probably worse, I would say worse at it this year. And so that stands out. I don't know if we anticipated them being worse you know, uh, probably didn't think they'd be necessarily that much better, but it, there was some hope there. You drafted really good defensive players, right? You spent the number three overall pick on Stingley, which, you know, that was only going to do but so much. And, you know, he's been okay. He's been fine. And then the Petrie thing, the Jalen Petrie thing, man, everybody was on that in the preseason in those first couple of games, right? Like he was amazing. And you're like, oh, man, OK, we got some defensive players. Christian Harris is going to come back, you know, at some point. And so now, you know, and none of that has been worth the damn. <laughs> and the, you know, Roy Lopez just kind of you, you feel like, you, OK, well, he's kind of just a plug and play guy. You know, that was a feel good story last year as a rookie. Oh, man, a late round pick as a starter. Well, sure, he is on a terrible team. You know, and he's a decent, he's an okay player, but I mean, like that was, I think there was some, there was a little bit more built, built up on that story, uh, the kind of a feel good story and his personality is endearing. And so I think people kind of like, liked that, but it's like, okay, but you're not really good at that position. <laughs> like, you know, like you just, you've got a guy that can, that can be a serviceable rotation guy in the league there, which good for you, but you know, fast forward to the end of the season. Well, and well, it's fast forward to this season when Derrick Henry's back and he's running all over you like he used to do. You know, um, Josh Jacobs is running all over you like he used to do. Khalil Herbert looks like Gail Stairs against you after the starter goes. When David Montgomery goes out and Khalil Herbert all of a sudden looks like the best running back you've ever seen in your life. It's like, what's going on here, guys? And I, I think that, and that's a that's a, probably a bit of an underrated point there. I think in terms of, we'll take the try and cover cover a lot of those again. But I think like the the front seven, I think, and that that's the bit about when the question, you know, they're like, why did they? Why is there a big chasm in terms of what they expected versus what's output? And, and I, for me, I think when you look at the the certain areas like skill positions, didn't sign anyone of note. May not have been able to for whatever reason. Um, the defensive line edge, apart from Rasheen Green, who's okay, I think you know. Um, Jerry Hughes, okay, he got another sack yesterday, but I don't think it makes him any good. I don't think he's, he just continually cuts, uh, runs up field past the play. Um, 
But I think at the defensive tackle spot, which was a weakness, bringing back Malik Collins, because Malik Collins for me is like a third guy you bring in as a designated pass rusher at the middle. I don't think he's an every down guy, but he's by far your most hope. Um, but they didn't do anything apart from bring him back. And we were already bad with him last year, you know, ever so worse without him. But I think, you know, there's skill positions on the defense, on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball up front. Didn't bring anybody in or draft anyone high. Um, that was going to make a difference. Now I don't like, and we'll come on to some of the some of the rookies and stuff in a bit. But I think in the offensive side, really like again, like you you've got Tim Kelly on the other side there, and I think the biggest criticism of that scheme was the run game. You never found things you were proficient at, and this run game is pretty much the same in terms of varying principles. They do a lot of kind of uh, you know sort of power plays with the guard or the tackle pulling. And it has worked, and it's been much better, I think, over the thing, but over the piece. But what, what really frustrates me is if you think of all the big plays that Pierce has had, and Pierce is by far the, the silver lining of the season, I think. But if you think of all the good plays they've had, they're all stretch count, you know, stretch counter, you know, outside zone plays, you know, or uh, sweep, uh, sweep t- tosses um, to to the, the tailback. Um, you know, if you think of the big touchdown he had against Chargers yesterday. There was one in, in last week against Vegas. The, the best plays have been when the guys are put, when the offensive linemen are pulling in space. And they don't do that. They don't do it enough. And I just think when you look at the play calling from Pep, it's not been good enough. And look, the first interception was not on Davis. Um, it was a pu- poorly executed pick play. Two tight ends basically picked each other off rather than defensive back. It goes right into his chest. And, and Davis is okay. And I think, I think when you saw it yesterday, and I think if you ever needed to do it, you, you had a bit of an upturn last week. And okay, it was good to watch at times, and there is some nice bits there. But ultimately, when there's no run game, when it's on his shoulders, he doesn't have that playmaking ability to be considered. I don't think that should be a debate against the sensible of us amongst us that are watching this. I think some people still hold out blind faith and hope that he can be better than that. But I think yesterday was a reminder that it's just average to below average all the way around. And when you compile that together, we're seeing young players out there who are still finding their way making some really bad mistakes at times. Um, it's it's just a sorry sorry mess, and I I just I I wonder how we get better at that because I think that's the issue. How do we get better? How do we get from here to mildly competitive? Um, you know, say we're winning three or four wins, and I I don't know the answer to that because I think there is so many holes. I don't know where you start to try and plug them. I mean, we we were pretty brutally honest about it yesterday. Honestly, like I I think I, I think I told Seth Payne, it's like, hey man. I think everybody could go. I think they could get rid of everybody. Yeah, I'd get rid of the whole front seven and not worry about it. Yeah, I I could I could get I said I I told Seth Payne they could get rid of everyone except the rookies. And I'm really just talking about the 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 main ones. Right. So they could get rid of it. But fine. Just keep the rookies anyway, just for the hell of it. All, All of them. Let's say that they could get rid of everybody except the rookies and Nico Collins. And those would be the only players that I that I feel like I just have to have. I like Steven Nelson. I like Desmond King. Like there are some random, but there are some random players. I was going to say Troy Harrison, but he's a rookie too. So there, there, there are some random players that I like on the team, but they could get rid of every single one. And I would shrug my shoulders and co- coaches too, for that matter. They could get rid of, every, they could just start over. And obviously they can't, they're not going to do that. Right. You can't, I can't get rid of everybody. I'm just, it's kind of hyperbole there, but. That's how that's how we felt, though. You know, talking about how do you get from here to there? Like, there is no we are done trying to beat our our brains around. You know, how does how does this team improve? This team is not good enough. Like these coaches aren't. You laid it out just now about 
some of the t- things that they do well and that they don't do enough and, and kind of how they don't even do a good job of necessarily leaning into their strengths. I do think that they've done a better job of of trying to just make sure that Damian Pierce is the focal point of their offense. Like, I mean, it didn't take rocket science to figure that out. But in terms of like this outfit, this group of folks, how do we get from here to there? I just don't think they're good enough. Like, I think they can be, I think they can be like to their credit. The I was going to call it Oakland, the Raiders game, the previous game. I thought I thought that was Davis Mills, one of his best games, one of the best games that I've seen him have. And it wasn't like wasn't like he was special, but I thought he was efficient. You know, I thought it was one of his better moments until, uh, you know, we get to this week and we're like, what's the how, like a question for me? How do you make him how do you how do you improve his repeatability? Like, how do you make him do it again? You know, like we've seen him have moments, right? Is it the Chargers game last year, the Patriots game? Like uh, there's a there's a handful of games where you're like, okay, how do you get him to do that again? Like in the San Francisco game, how do you get him to do that again against Tennessee uh, on Sunday? You know, how how do you get how do you get that to be consistent? You know, and and it might not be there. Um, I think it's the game script when they come out. Right. I think that's just not there. I think. How many easy layup throws has he had this year? Nine times out of ten he has made them, but he's a rhythm passer. So without getting him into a rhythm early, which he did in Vegas, and that was clear. Yes. I think it was the one I, I tweeted out. It was the one to Jordan Aikens on a third down. He kind of sort of laid it up past the, past the, the uh, I think it was the safety that was on him, and he dropped it in just over his shoulder, and Jordan Aikens ran on and, and got some yak yards there. Um and and it, it kind of seemed to all stem from there, and I think without that spark, he struggles. Because uh, I think what was it after there was eleven minutes to go in the fourth quarter yesterday, um, and it was they had sixty four yards on thirty three plays. So regardless of your view, you like regardless of anything about his evaluation, there is no way a quarterback who's capable of consistently playing in this league can have his name next to that. And you, you get that last drive in Garber's time where they're kind of sitting off, getting a bit soft. You know, it's an easy it's, a, it's an easy gift to pad the stats. It makes it, I mean, it's still a terrible, terrible day. Um, you know, as they said in the commentary, one of the worst offensive day, displays you'll ever see. Um, but I, yeah, I think there's a lack of, there's, there's a reason why the last time Pep called plays, it was in the, the XFL or whatever the hell it was, that league. Um, there's a reason why you know, he got fired with, with Andrew Locke. You know, you'd like to think, you know, a generational talent, you could sort of look serviceable. Um, and I, I just think, I think there's there's a lack of easy plays. There's a lack of, the, the thing I've had with Pep all season is lack of utilisation of weapons at the right time. Um, and how many times are we going to not convert a third and one? How many times are we going to run it on second, medium to long? And put, you know, I think he's put Davis in bad positions. Um, and look, that like, that's fine and he's not done as well but his talent would only take you so far so everything has to go right there has to be a, a groove for both of them I think people glamorised in their head similar to Lovey in that way what Pep could do for this offence because actually 
if you look at it really, Tim Kelly was a better play caller. Tim Kelly's more creative. Tim Kelly got better chunk plays downfield, even in bad games. Um, so actually, if you if you were to compare, you know, he's probably laughing to himself because you know if the rumor if the rumors are to be true that they wouldn't sack Tim Kelly, and I mean it was a bit of bullshit, but you know he wouldn't sack Tim Kelly. So then David Cully said, "And oh, I'm out too." Then if you sack my play call or whatever <laughs> it was, you know. Um, but actually, yeah. you would have been better having him here. So I think, yeah, there's yeah. just a lack of cohesion and offense, um, and a lack of like what do they do well? What's this? What's the sort of two or three things they do? And as I said, I think they run outside zone stretch plays well, but they don't do it very much, you know. And I think. Uh, but ultimately, as Lovey said, I think this team is so fucking fundamentally flawed because they get the, they, they get they get it handed to them in the trenches and uh well and we'll, yeah in fact yeah, let's put it out there now Kenyon Green was fucking terrible yesterday awful he was awful he was absolutely yeah. awful Scott Quisenberry was worse next to him and yes uh, and um and we had Casey McDermott and I don't know who the hell that is he was in there at the towards the end of the game because McRae had a terrible game McRae's not an NFL lineman. Um, you know, he was he, McCray was also concussed too. Yeah, because he went off. Seems yeah, to happen. Yeah. And when and whatever, whenever he, it seems like whenever he gets in the game, something like and, that. And I hope he's okay. Yeah. But it seems like that happens a lot. The, so the three internal guys um, got worked by Jeffrey Simmons. Kenyon Green got used like a pinball to stop a play, um, as, or a batter yeah. ram uh, to the, the banged into. Uh, Damian Pierce at one point. So the, yeah, Jeffrey Simmons tackled yeah. Damian Pierce with. Yeah. Kenyon so, Green. So that, Use Kenyon Green to so tackle. That tells yeah. me his functional playing strength is nowhere near his footwork has been terrible for weeks. And I don't know if it's because, you know, and I think you, you need to be more critical of Kenyon because he's missed a lot of time. That's not his fault. But he was a 15th overall pick over guys like Jordan Davis, who would be a perfect guy to have in this defense right now. Um, Kyle Hamilton's probably not been as great, but he's made plays. Um, and he probably he's definitely better than one of your safeties. Like one of them got benched. He brought back, you know, the much maligned Derek Murray. So I think the, the internal three guys let this whole thing down yesterday. They couldn't run it. And they, but I think when Kenyon Green is a 15th year overall pick, fair enough. Jeff Simmons, one of the top five, six players in the league at that position on his day. You know, arguably, you know, only second to Aaron Donald. But when Tier Tart or whatever his name is, a third-year guy at Florida International is working past you and getting to the quarterback and pushing you back and driving into your quarterback's lap. That's a concern at this stage. And I think when you spend a big pick like that, just like it's the free agency signings, you have to hit. You have to hit on all these six picks you got for the Deshaun trade. Otherwise, you've got no semblance of a squad. And so far, after some decent flashes in the run game... Um, and the, but the last two weeks he's, he's he's dropped right off. And look, it's going to be ups and downs. It's learning curves. That's fine. Get it all out your system now, Kenya, for next year. But I just thought he looked miles off it yesterday, and that's worrying for a fifteenth overall pick, particularly at that position. Yeah, he he did look miles off. I'm not worried about it though. I'm not nearly as worried about him getting worked by Jeffrey Simmons for the most <laughs> yeah. part. And kind of, to me, to me, it was his it was his welcome to the NFL moment. Yeah, big time. I, I'll give you this. I'll, I will give you this though. I, I think Kenyon Green's going to be fine ultimately in the long run. I think he'll be a fine player. But the the miss is going to be not taking Jordan Davis. Like, like I, I think that's going to be that's going to be one where we're going to look bad. I know he's kind of been more of a rotational government, but I, I think he's going to be between him. Okay, think about yeah. it like this. I mean, he's playing the best front in football right now, and we'll see him on Thursday. Um but but look but look at the players that are taken in that window where they had that yeah. pick right they trade back to to take Kenyon, but Jordan Davis is taken with the pick that they had. Kyle Hamilton is taken with the next pick, and then they take Kenyon Green right. That's the sequence. 
well, who's going to be the best player out of those three? I feel like it's going to be Jordan Davis. And who had the pick that you could have taken Jordan Davis with? The Texans did. So I, I do – I will give you that much. But, no, it took – there's no arguing that it was a welcome to the NFL moment. He did not look good at times, was getting washed. Now, and like you said, Quesenberry was worse, and that that actually stood out to me more so than than Kenyon. Um, but Kenyon's more important, yeah. right? Because he's because he is the the first round pick, the the pick from the Deshaun Watson trade, and you do absolutely need him to be good. Like, I, like maybe part of my projection there is some hoping, like. Yeah, man, he's going to be good because, damn it, he's got to be. Like, you can't waste that pick, right? Yeah, I think so maybe that, maybe that maybe that's part of it. Yeah. But, but yeah, man, it was a it was it was not a good. That's that's going to be some tape that he'll definitely want to flush, but one that we won't forget yeah. uh, until he like rectifies that. I think it's two weeks in a row because who, who was the guy that got traded to the Cowboys last week from uh, from Vegas? He 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 kicked him about last week, um, and he's going to see him again uh, this year. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I think it's two weeks in a row. I think when you have an off week, and look, I, I think Jalen Petrie had that. He had two kind of not great weeks. I thought he was better in fits. Still misses tackles, still needs to improve form. Your shoulder's not the best means of tackling somebody, and you really need to learn that and absorb that. Is it, you know, and every time you, you go up to the line of scrimmage to go make a tackle. But I think there was... Um, yeah, there was there was too there was too much. I think Petrie played better, and I think, yeah, he's had definitely had his downs the last two weeks, but certainly Kenyon has been bad. Um, in in that, and it just basically destroyed the offense because of it. It's so such a finely balanced thing that if they don't run the ball, they can't function because you've not got a playmaker and you've not got playmakers at the skill positions beyond Damian Pierce. You know, I wanted to mention though, like I, I'm glad you're going kind of breaking down some of these rookies because I think that's the most important yeah, part of the evaluation yeah. about the team this year. Like I don't, I. I it's hard not to get caught up in the wins and losses in the day to day. Cause I mean, like we're watching the games, we're here to watch football and we love, you know, we love the games, but I don't think any of us had any expectation of them being super competitive this year. But I will say like, what seems really frustrating about it is when, you know, and I get Malik, Malik Willis was out there. The rookie was out there yesterday and it wasn't Tannehill. Tannehill's not great, but Tennessee comes in there yesterday or on Sunday. And you're like, Man, this is the division win. This is going to be the division winner. That team's the one going to be the one that's going to go to the playoffs. You know, the Col- the Colts were a team that people liked at a time. The the Jaguars early in the season were were a team for whatever reason people liked at a time. And you just think about overall this division and the thing that I'm having just a tough time with, even though like I'm keeping focus on the task at hand here. We're evaluating the rookies and the young talent, talent development coaching which is not good right like we can see that but just from an overall like bigger picture standpoint of the team you're like yeah I get they weren't supposed to be competitive this year but like why not you know when you look at when you look at what their competition is like when you look at like Tennessee's not that good like Atlanta Detroit it's all more watchable and it's far more yeah you know they've got a bona fide you know Arthur Smith is a great play call we saw that Tennessee he's getting a good good you know, tune out that offense, winning games, competitive, interesting. Same, I mean, Detroit, we need them to win a game, and I hope they do at some point because they're in the games and you see it. But, you know, there, there's teams like that that do it. But, you know, I, and like, the losses don't bother me, and I think that's, you know, it's I, it's just when, like, 
for example, I, I, I've said this, you know, for pretty much all the off-season and now, Davis Mills was handed a chance that I don't think he necessarily earned and wholly. He certainly didn't. He's, nobody, nobody should earn a chance to not have somebody truly to compete with you. Um, and it's kind of the same for Christian Harris because I kind of get feel like when I watched it back today because I was had people around on the barbecue, you know, you get handing out beers and stuff, so you, you miss a lot. And I've kind of tried to make it more of an enjoyable Sunday rather than watching the game. I miss probably 30% of the plays sometimes. Um, but when you watch it back today, I think Christian Harris is, again, it's just been handed to him. And he has not been good the last two games. And I think that's, you know, I know the, line, the whole linebacker core is not, Camus walks out the door because he's unhappy about a rookie getting it. And I kind of see where he's coming from. Don't get me wrong, Grigio Hill was not good. And he had one good play on that uh, tight end that they got from Minnesota. Um, I won't try to pronounce his name. I've never done <laughs> prior to now but he made that an early play earlier on Luto Kane coverage went and tackled the tight end got off the field I think that was on the second drive um, and then yeah I think it was just one of those things I think it's just it was Harris is out there and I, I'm not quite sure why and I don't think he's earned it and he's not played well so I, nothing kind of adds up from that just throwing him in to the fire played you know however many 78% of snaps last week it was 68 you know similar number higher this week I just I don't think he's managing him well it's a transition and to, to miss all that time to miss the first five weeks of the season to hardly be at training camp and then to throw him out there he's you know he's maybe learning on the job but it ain't pretty and it's adding to the overall woes yeah but again like it goes back to my earlier question like what are they trying to accomplish like at this point, it's at this point they're not going to be good. They're not going to really win, and I think they're. I think they are willing to. And I'm. I actually would agree with this part that being willing to live and die with your young players at this point. Like I know, no, he's no, he has not earned it. Yeah. Like you're right, he has not earned it. But the 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 thing that he has, or the reason why he's in this position, is simply because they drafted him, and and because the guys that that are that have earned it aren't any good. You know, like the guys who have earned it are also bad. So, um, like, maybe maybe you'd like to see more of a Neville Hewitt or uh, Blake Cashman or somebody like that for, for in the immediacy. But I think what what we're looking at, and, and this is sort of just part of the process. I hate that term, the process. <laughs> but 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 the but 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 what is part of the process is develop and evaluating the guys that you've invested in. And I know it's a, was it a third round pick on on Christian Harris? Yeah, I'm, I'm a trade think. Up, yeah. Or no second, the trade yeah, in the second, didn't back in the second for him, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, so I, I get it, it's not like, you know, the a top five pick or anything, but I mean, that that's a, that's a pretty decent investment in a guy like that. And I think they're just trying to let him Sink or, sink or swim. I am fine with sinking or swimming with the Rizzo. It's also why I was fine with Davis Mills, who also, I agree with you, had not earned it. I don't think he'd earned it worth a damn. I agree with you. But to me, the philosophy there was these are the young players that we have at this position, and we want to both evaluate and develop these players for better or worse. And it felt like the approach – and that's why it's also frustrating because it's like it felt like the approach was to just – go go all in with these younger players, which I'm okay with, but also looking at how bad the division is, it's like, hey, man, if you actually did give it to guys who earned it and are actually good and actually tried to, like, scout and find good players, and honestly, 
the coaching has been a just a, a, a an overall letdown, a, a huge letdown. I had I personally had high hopes for it, or now nah, I wouldn't say high hopes, but better than this. I thought it'd be better than this. And so when you just bring that together, it's like okay, they're investing in young players, and their coaching staff isn't as good as maybe I wanted it to be. And here's what we have. But I, I think if you're going to do that, do that everywhere. You know, do that. You know, if you're going to go in with that approach, and I agree with it because it's a good time to do it. But and I. I I don't know how how long or how much further ownership's going to accept the current product. I think so. There's a balance there because they want to save their jobs. But if you're going to do that approach, go everywhere. Give uh, Jimmy Morrissey a start at centre. You know he's a young player. You know give uh, o- Austin Deculus. Uh, when I had um, um, when 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 I had the guy from LSU on in the off season, he said I think he could be a great guard in a power system. You know, I know he looks like a tackle when he plays, but, you know, kick him inside and give him a go. What did you learn yesterday by playing Justin McCray? Deculus is inactive. You know, there's so many examples of, of okay, okay, if you want to go down that approach, I, I, I you know, I, I nod my cap to you. Um, but do it everywhere and give everybody a fair crack rather than select players. Get Wallow out there, you know, 78% of the snaps. Um, you know, whatever it might be, give Brevin Jordan more snaps over somebody like Jordan Aikens. Why have you got both on the field? You know, the, the whole yeah. point was he was to transition and replace him. You let him go, and Aitkins comes back, and he's your best player. Julio Johnson comes in yesterday, and actually looked probably one of the better players in the in the interior. Who okay, he was here last year, but he was on a practice squad. You you bring him to uh, to try and help a little bit, and he did. But it's small margins of where you are and where you need to be to stop a guy like Derrick Henry. So yeah, I think it was yeah. it was interesting. Um, but I I I think Christian Harris out there, he's maybe being hung out to dry right now. Um, after missing so much time, I I understand if he got full preseason, but maybe just bed him in gently, and get, because ultimately, but you know he's got this he's got the same, and it's partly the way they're being coached at the linebacker spot, and the linebacker coach name escapes me, but the amount of times they crash downhill, it, it's 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 lovely, it's yeah, lovely miles, of course, miles. yes, of course it is. Yeah, uh, he yeah. crashed it, they crashed yeah. downhill into the wrong spots. Um, this whole sort of play fast thing's great, but when you leave the when you leave the edges wide open, then it's it's not really it's not really much of a much of a much of a fair fight, um, but yeah. Any other observations from yesterday? It's probably not too much point dwelling on it. But I think yeah, the rookie guys. I thought Stingley missed a lot of tackles, uh, but everybody did. And again, I think that comes down to coaching scheme, run fits. I don't think they'll get better, and I think there's only going to be there's only going to be more days like that. I think at least the scoreboard was close, um, and I think that's the only genuine progress. I would say there's been no blowouts this year. There's not been a forty to zero. Buffalo, etc. Um, I think that's the, probably the only improvement you can take with the rookies sort of kind of learning on the job in the background. Yeah. Yeah. I think my biggest thing is just that it's, it's really, it, it's, it's, it's more of an energy uh, kind of sucker. Like it sucks the energy out of the building when you go there and you're all you really want to watch is a competitive football game an interesting football game and i'll even give them credit for like who would imagine that however many weeks later six seven weeks later after that tie to open the season against the colts you know and as frustrating as that was to watch and to be like in the building for that you'd be longing for a game like that where it's at least like I know they collapsed at the end, epic collapse at the end there of that game. But you're like, oh well, they at least started the first couple of quarters pretty good. It was probably the best Pamilton, that Hamilton's been all year. It was the first three quarters of the game, or I'm sorry, the first three quarters of the season. 
you know, and it's been bad ever since, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, like where, where's that at? You know, for, for three quarters this year, I was feeling I was like, yeah, oh, OK, OK. Now, I know, I know they collapsed, you know, but maybe maybe there's something here. You know, maybe this could be a competitive team and they have been competitive for the most part. But or at least, you know, the score would indicate so they weren't they I don't think they were competitive their last two games. I don't give a damn what the score says. But yeah, I mean, that's that was the takeaway is that here we've gotten to a point where they're going out and not just losing, but playing uninspiring football. You know, they don't they don't look like they want to be there. And the people that are there for leisure don't look like they want to well, be there's there. not many people there. Yeah. I, think, I don't know what it looked. No, yeah. no, there were not. There were not very. And was that there. markedly less than there has been just because people just have lost interest again? The Astros are on, etc. Or um, was it a lack of travel and support? Or what did you think made up the, the difference in the crowd? Because it looked really empty. And you saw actually when it showed you the end zone camera with that, like Brandon Cooks got that late catch. And I mean, you'd be lucky if there was maybe ten thousand in the stadium at that point. Um, you know, towards you. Yeah, but man, it wasn't. It it never looked full or like anything close to it. You know, it was it was like that to start the game. It was a light crowd, which I was surprised by kind of based off of the parking. Like there was a little bit of traffic in the parking lot, a little bit more so than there had been in previous games. So I thought, OK, maybe people are coming out because the Titans are the old Oilers. Uh, oddly enough, you know, because of that, there are there are Titans fans that live here in this city, you know, because because of that awkward kind of relationship. They are they are technically the old team from here, you know, so. I was expecting to see, you know, kind of a nice mix of Texans and Titans fans, kind of a fan. And there was some of that, but not nearly what you would expect it to be. And yeah, the crowd was the crowd was whack before the game even started. And then, you know, people started leaving once, you know, you know, once you once you got Rex Burkhead throwing the ball on. Was it was that a third down play? Uh, I'm trying to remember if that was a third. I think so, yeah. I think it was. You know, and and you start the game off with a flea flicker screen to the tight end. You know, like, <laughs> come on, guys, like let's let's pick it up. You know, and, and and I think that was reflective in the crowd. And yeah, man, the energy the the, the energy level to me was at like an all time low. That that to me feels worse. It like we can debate about whether this team is worse than last year's. The the energy at yesterday's game at Sunday's game worse than anything that I've seen in, you know, minus COVID situation where there weren't people there, yeah. right? Like anything that I've seen last year, certainly. Yeah, yeah well, my, my reference point from last year, and, I, and booked up a trip this year, and I actually generally didn't want to go to NRG for the trip because, yeah, like last year against the Jets after Thanksgiving, it was just, it was it was a non-event, you know, and we left our seats, I think, in the third quarter and just kind of went and had a drink and, Watched a bit on the screen and then you know got a, got a head start on the traffic, um, but so you know you're so that's why you know wanted to go to Dallas this year. But yeah, I think it's um it's a it's a tough one. I think so. It's just it's it's it, it's going to take time. It was a process. Major undertaking was next thing. But I think he. I don't think Casario can be immune for criticism. You put the botch coaching stuff aside, but the salary cap management, the player acquisition, all free agents. Draft, it takes time. So you can't really say that, but free agents, you can. There's a reason why people don't spend free agents because it really hits. But I think Nick has to take his share of the blame here 
because even even if he went and drafted, say, um, I've forgotten the name now, the big guy up front for Georgia, uh, Jordan Davis. Uh, no, this year saying you know the the the, uh, the real deal guy. He's even better than Jordan, far better than Jordan Davis. Oh, I uh, forgot his name. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, and uh, if you put him out there and you draft Will Anderson, say for example, even if you bring both those guys in here, that doesn't improve this. De- you know, you can't you can't rely on rookies to improve your needs because it's going to take time, regardless of where you pick them in the draft. So you know, you can get them out there early and play. But I think you know, next season has got a propensity or certainly a projection to be very similar to this year. Just not as bad as what. So I think you know you, you went from the blowouts to non blowouts, but bad performances to next year. You know the, it might be okay performances, but still losing. I think you know you've seen the Jag, Jags are potentially in the run to have the first pick, you know, or a, or a top you know two pick three years in a row. I don't think we should rule ourselves out of that potential from last year, this draft, and the following year because it's it takes a while to take that step. And I think when you watch a team who's not great but are just really good at one thing. Um, and you can't stop it, and you, and you can't compensate for other areas because you lack a talent. It takes a while to build that out, and I think you know you, you're going to have to have a probably a, a reasonable overhaul of this this uh, roster. I think. Yeah, I I think it's fair to say right now that Nick Casario hasn't done a good enough job of putting this team together. You know, back to back year, and you know, in year two. Yeah. It, and the fact that we are even having a discussion, a valid discussion on is this team worse than the year before? Like you can't, I, I mean, I don't care what your plan is. If you're the general manager, you can't be putting out a team that's worse than the year before and the team that you got wasn't any good. Like unless you're unless you're inheriting the good team and you're tearing it down from there. But Nick Casario inherited the team that was already bad. Yeah. You know, so like, you, you know, and, you know, obviously they start to tear down and, and you make the case that year one was actually year zero, but you can't be getting worse. You know, you just, that's, you can't be going backwards. So I think that's a fair criticism. So uh, it was Jalen Carter, I, number 88 for Jalen. Yeah. Jalen Carter. I who is an elite yeah, talent. Jaylen who's Carter's. a top five pick at defensive tackle all day long. Like when you watched them last year, clear standard yeah. of defense, you know, he was better than Trayvon Walker. He was better than Jordan uh, Davies. So, I think, you know, that's the type of guys you're going to need to get into that defensive line to change it with some vets who are space eaters. Otherwise, we're just going to be watching the same, you know, the scar you can't hide is what I called it last week. You're just going to, until you can start defending a run game, the rest is kind of irrelevant, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and it just makes me think of DJ Reader and how oh, they gave and that's it. You know, Do you know, I had that in my notes. Funny to... you say that. I had that in my notes last week <laughs> and I forgot to mention it to John. Uh, I think that's potentially the... Of all the guys they've let go, you know, maybe Brandon Brooks is maybe another one, but I mean, he had some health issues and it kind of muddied his career. Ben Jones is a great reminder, playing centre, still going strong yeah. at 36 or whatever he yeah. is. Um, but yeah, DJ Reader was one of those guys that just made such a difference. You know, do you remember when Derek Newton, going back a bit, do you remember when Derek Newton got injured? I was there in Denver and he tore both these, both these knees or whatever he did going up against Von Miller. And the difference that made to that line the rest of the season was just marking because it just wasn't a replacement. And I think when you get guys like that who are quality kind of starters to protect, you know, with potential to be difference makers. And look, DJ's had a couple of injuries in Cincinnati, but when he did play, he was in the Super Bowl and he did great. But yeah, yeah. What, a, what a mistake that was, I think. You know, that's... Yeah, a, a, a huge mistake. Potentially now, the biggest uh, one. I would maybe go as far as saying the biggest one of the O'Brien, you know, potentially in terms of 
functionality on the field, I think it's just is it can't yeah. be under a position like that can't be underrated when you have a functional player. I think. Yeah, yeah. Now, now he would be useless on this team at this point. Like he'd obviously be a the, a great player, but I, I don't think you need a. <laughs> To, to me, a player like that is, I wouldn't say useless. What, what it is, he'd be wasted is the word I'm looking for. They would be wasting him if he was still on this team. But mind you, just to, since we're going back, that obviously happened right before the everything fell off the cliff. Like that's part of, that's part of the falling cliff. off the cliff because 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 that, you know, that's obviously going into the 2020 season. So, yeah, no, that I mean, that was a huge, huge loss for them. Um, but going back to your point earlier about Casario. You know, I think that is that speaks to the question, like the criticism of him speaks to the question that you asked earlier, which is the key question. You know, the question, how do you get from here to there? You know, like, how do you get from what this is to actual competitive and and worthwhile football? And the task, you know, is obviously in Casario's hands, right? Like he's the one who's got to figure that out. And I think it's time to start kind of really. You know, the honeymoon phase should have long been over with once he got to a second head coach, you know, and, to, you know, to me, like that's going to be the the, per, the pertinent question now. You know, we have a good time talking about the games, but the pertinent question, the most pertinent question now is about Nick Casario and like his aptitude for this, you know, and, you know, I'm looking at it and they're supposed to have two premium picks to like two top. I don't know what how Deshaun is going to affect things once he comes back, but that's going to, I don't think that's going to be a good football team. You know, they've all, they're already, what's their record. They've won two or three games. Out of two, they're playing tonight against. uh, Yeah. So they're two and five, right? Yeah. They're two and five. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're bad already that that's, they've already lost five games. They're going to lose, but I don't think they're going to go undefeated once Deshaun gets back. So that's going to be a bad team. You're going to have two top 10 picks for, or top 10, top 12 picks. So, you know, a lot is being entrusted on Nick Casario. And to his credit, I do like what he's done with the draft. Like, I do like Stingley and Kenyon Green, even though I'm going to have, like, we're going to have these reservations and these conversations for years so, now but like, about 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 Sauce Gardner, oh, yeah. about Jordan Day, yeah. about the guys that they passed up. I, I, I was, the reason why I'm saying this is because I was with them when they did this. So I'm not going to go back and say, Oh, they shouldn't have done yeah. it. I liked those players at the time. But so, you know, if they don't work, I'll say, hey, I was an idiot, too. But, you know, this this is just as important, obviously. You know, like every year that you double pick in the first round is going to be super important to, to you know, infusing this young to this team with some young talent. Yeah. No, and I think the point I was going to make there with, with Stingley is like, that's he's a perfect pick if like yesterday we're going to go, right, guys, the game plan is, we're going to stick eight men in the box. We're just going to go man for man in the back end. And you've just got to give us everything you can because he's the perfect player for it. Nelson's decent at it as well. You could have said to, you know, pick your other best cover guy. It might even be Eric Murray if you think he's better cover guy than those guys. And you play cover three and then you just, and man, and then you just jam the line all day. And if they hit you in behind, so be it. But at least it's not the most predictable, you know, you know because ultimately, and that probably needs, leads us nicely into Thursday night's game, which is going to be, a fucking mess as well, let's be honest. I mean, you never know. Sometimes these games on a short week and a short rest, teams got to travel, can sometimes put in adverse performances um, or, or, or can't uh, perform in the adverse conditions, as I say, rather. But, you know, when you think the issue was before, you know, because you had T.Y. Hilton for all those years, you had um, 
Then you've got Henry now, who is just, you know, complete control over every time he plays. AJ Brown was on that similar track. So I think, like, this is a good time to, for, to see, as a good test at this point in the season, to see where Sting's up to in terms of going against AJ Brown. Because, you know, I think, this, I think he hit three in, three three long touchdowns yesterday. So there's going to be, you know, like, when you pick these players, they're not being utilised in very well. And that's, you know, lovely being stuck in his principles, etc. But Thursday night, I've got, I mean, to the point, Brian, I've got no expectations of this game even being close. And I think, you know, you're going against an undefeated team, so on paper, it's a terrible mismatch. But again, they run the ball with a good offensive line and they're going to kick, you know, they're going to move bodies up front. I think it's it's almost an identical... They'll probably watch that game and thinking, let's just run the ball successfully, short to medium throws, and we'll take our, take our deep shots and see where it takes us. But yeah, I think this could be... Uh, you know, I think a three scorer minimum. I think is it's got the potential anyway to be that way. Yeah, I, I think I think the Eagle. Let's see. Sorry about that. I th- I think that the Titans are basically a poor man's. Eagles. Yeah, no, I think and they're, they're, they're scripted except, that way. except and, and the difference is though, so the Titans are a poor man's Eagles, but they have Derrick Henry. And the Eagles are basically a rich man's Titans, but they don't have a Derrick Henry, yeah. you know, like that. So, but stylistically, yeah, I mean, this is gonna be, I think, a, a carbon copy of kind of the, the ass beating that we just and watched. I think what's, what's worse is I think there's a legitimate argument. I've not watched a huge amount of them. I just kind of watched a lot of some, some of their games back this morning. Um, I think the potential got the best defensive front in football right now. So, you know, yeah. those three internal guys, you know, talking about a great test for Stingley and, and evaluating Kisarian where that pick's got to now. Mr. Kenyon, I was critical of him earlier, but I think he's going to have to, he's going to have to show up in a way that he's certainly not done in the last two games. Um, against that front because it is relentless and ironically you'll be going up against Jordan Davis so you'll, you'll probably never get a truer test in year one of who's a more aptly developed and, and uh, acclimated player to the NFL of those two high picks and I think you'll see that player in front of you which gives us a good evaluation and you know that's something something to watch in the game certainly because I think that's he needs a bounce back Kenyon and what better way to do it against a guy that, you know, the other teams picked over you just a couple of spots above you when your team traded back. So it's going to be it's going to be another buzzsaw of a run game and a quarterback who seems to have found some accuracy. Um, you know, reminded me of the game I think when they played against in the the college championship semi final. That was the game, the game that I thought you know Hurts could potentially make something of himself for the pros, and it's kind of coming together in quite a nice way. Uh, but yeah, one hell of a roster. And I think, you know, they're only undefeated team, but it certainly looks like a mismatch, just as we have quite a few offences and defences we're going to play um, coming up. Because with this game, Brandon, do you have any expectations? Because I think when you look at this, and it's potentially more of a slide as we keep going, and then when you, you slide again, 1-6-1, and one, and you start to look at the teams coming up, I, I struggle to see where they're going to get a win. No, I, a win? <laughs> no, I I think this is going to be a lot like the Titans game, except it's just going to be a, a bit more of a blowout. I think it's going to be more. See, the Titans didn't have the fact that they had Malik Willis out there as their as their quarterback. They weren't really able to to fully exploit how bad the Texans were. You know, they were just they just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. And that's one thing that they know the Texans are bad off. You got are bad at you got the best running back in football and you got the worst run defense in football. 
perfect storm for them. But here you have at least you have got a competent quarterback in Jalen Hurts, somebody that I've been wrong about. I didn't think he'd be as good as he's as he has been this year. So credit to him. Um, so, but I, I just I think it's going to be uh, a blowout. <laughs> quite honestly, man, it's especially because more more than anything. I mean, I mentioned a quarterback. I think that's a big part of it, but like the, just the physicality part of it, like, are they just going to all of a sudden become a more physical football team over the next four days? You know, like, they, I mean, is it just a matter of pride? Was that, was that actually somewhere in there and they didn't show it, you know, getting, getting pushed around the way that they did on Sunday. Like, I just don't, I, I don't see that. I got another criticism though of the offense before we get out of here that I didn't, that we didn't get to because we have talked so much about Davis Mills and Pep Hamilton, kind of the spotlight being on them and, and King and Green also, but these wide receivers don't get st- the wide receivers don't get separation. Like that was pointed out on the broadcast. These guys, and I, and I mentioned Nico Collins not being out there, but you know, a legit criticism of Pep and and the offense of, the, of them not stretching the field, not really throwing it downfield. They tried it a couple times, and, and like they, I mean, he tried to force it and blanketed coverage to to Philip Dorsett. Uh, I think it also to 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 Brandon Cooks as well. And like you I, I know you mentioned in, in the notes before we got on here about like the 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 route running and the route trees. Like, I don't know if it's a, an issue of design as much like obviously that that issue with the tight ends and, you know, the Davis Mills interception was an issue with either design and execution or both. But as far as like them going deep, you know, they're just they're just throwing go balls and don't have you know, man beaters. And it's just like a, that's another thing where with the Davis Mills thing, like, I don't think he's got elite in him, but when you talk about putting him in a bad position and you mentioned that Pep Hamilton's done so, I'm not disagreeing. I think Nick Casario's put him in an even worse position, you know, like, thank God he got him a running back, but those receivers are awful. Like that, or as, as a group, you know, uh, like, I don't, I don't think that they are, any one is necessarily awful, but none of them are good enough. You know? Yeah, no, I think that that's a big issue. It's just the skill position. I think there can be no doubt it's been underserved. I don't think you need the best, you know, skill positions to to, to fully evaluate an offense scheme or a quarterback in itself. But yeah, it's just not good enough. And I think it's going to be another sorry mess, I think, on Thursday night. And as I said in the article, I think the only highlight of these two games, two games both at home, both the ability to derail your season. I think the, the highlight is potentially the battle red helmet. I don't think it's going to get much better than that. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. We've never seen it uh, other than uh, what, other than just the kind of the preseason or the training camp reveal, I guess it was, or maybe they practiced in them once, but we've never seen it in game. I have been one that's been critical of the lack of sort of change over the years and they're in not just the color, not the color scheme necessarily, but in their uniforms and, and sort of what they've done. And so I'm, I'm actually excited to see that. I do wish though, talk about things being wasted. Now DJ reader would have been wasted on this team. I hate wasting good gear on sorry. Like that's going to be a fresh helmet, man. I'm going to like it. And it's a damn shame that that's going to be the football team that we're going to have to watch. That's what's the, that's what they're going to put out there. I'm hoping I'm hoping we see some of the good that they've done at various times over the year, over the season. Like, I mean, we're criticizing. It's not like it's been all bad all the time, you know. Yeah, um, it was a particular. It's just, it's just been. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, just, it was very particular. It's been mostly bad, especially offensively, but there have been some highlights. There have been some moments. And, you know, they just have yet to ever put together a complete game. And then, you know, obviously Sunday was their worst. So if, if there was a time to feel optimistic about them going up against the best team in the league, or I wouldn't call them the best team in the league, but at least the only undefeated team in the league, certainly they're probably the best team in the NFC. Um, it, it, the, the worst time would be coming off a loss like the one that they experienced Sunday yeah. against the Titans. Yeah, it's a short week. There'll be no hiding places again. I don't think they'll risk anybody that's injured on the short week. I think it's a recipe for trouble. So we could be Collins-less again um, on both sides of the ball. And I think, yeah, it's going to be a similar outcome, I think. Anything you're looking forward to um, in the rest of the season? Um, let me know if you can make Dallas because I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's about the only thing, just being there. Because I, I don't like watching these games on TV. I, I, it's just that even, even in an empty stadium, I'd rather be there than not. But um, anything you're looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, the obvious, right? I mean, that's the three weeks, that, that three-week span, I, actually, I'm looking forward to. Obviously, Deshaun Watson's coming back. That's going to be drama for us at the radio station. Um, but the, the December 4th game with the Browns coming here, is going to be something I'm looking forward to. But that's a three-week stretch of Browns, Cowboys. I will be in Dallas, so I will have to check you out. Or at least that's 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 the plan right now. Look forward to it. So, so, we've, so we've got Browns, Cowboys, and Chiefs in, in a three-week span. And that's probably the stretch that I'm looking forward to most because obviously you finish it off with the division opponents who, you know, I've seen all three of them now and <laughs> – Got to tell you, uh, don't uh, don't necessarily have to watch them anymore. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, so, I think Washington and then those three games at the end are your you know potential only wins. The only one you really want to win from a draft yeah. perspective, and hopefully it's it's the Browns are playing this, uh, the Bengals tonight, Monday Night Football. So hopefully, yeah. the Beng- Bengals are, and Browns are you picking them? Would you would you pick them? So I, I I said this weeks ago, and it's let's see, has it played out? It did not. So, though, I guess they did finally get that win against uh, against the Jaguars. But I said before that, um, after they lost to the Bears, here's what I did. After they lost to the Bears, okay, so that's week three. They're at that point, you know, 0-2-1, right? I said I'm not picking them to win a game. Not that they aren't going to win a game because undoubtedly they will. But just matchup by matchup, game by game. Because the Bears at the in, in that moment, and the Bears even look a lot better than they did in that at that time. But at, at the time of that game, I said, "Man, they lost to the Bears." At the time, the only offense that I thought was worse than their own that they would face all year, and, and you you probably can make a case maybe for the Commanders. I don't know. They got Terry McLaurin, but like I, I thought at the time, there is no way for the rest of the year that I can that I can credibly and honestly pick them to win a game. Even though I know that they will win one, I just can't pick them to do so in any given week. That's how I felt at the time. Now they beat Jacksonville, but I still feel this way for the rest of the year. Like I'm saying, I'm bringing this up because you mentioned the schedule yeah. and 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 getting the win. I'm looking at it like I don't see it. I'm not picking them. I, like and not saying that they won't win one. I just can't pick it. Yeah, I think Jacksonville and the Colts are probably a good chance. There's familiarity there. It brings the two teams closer in terms of any kind of talent levels and. And the familiarity just kind of kind of dispels some of that. So I think yeah, there's an opportunity to potentially there. Washington beat Indy yesterday in Indy, so anything's possible. If you can't stop the run, your defense is just so fundamentally flawed. It's just it's it's you're not yeah you're not and, functional. And that's 
that's the issue with the division teams, though. Like, think about it. No, none of the teams in this division have an elite quarterback right now, but all of them have what you could argue is an elite running back. If Jonathan Taylor's healthy, all, all I would, I would say all four of the teams. And so like, <laughs> as bad as the teams are in the division and as a familiarity uh, breeds some comfort for you when you're going up against your division teams, the, the one strength that each team in this division has goes up against the Texans' weakness, and that's defending the run. All, all three of these division teams can run the ball all up and down the Texans. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if you're watching that yesterday, um, I don't know why any any coach that's worth their salt game plan is just not to run it, you know, 60% yeah, the, the whole game, and, uh, and yeah. that will give you yeah. more than enough chance unless we come out some sort of offensive flurry of productivity this season it's uh it's it's certainly there but look it makes the draft more interesting i love the draft process last year it's going to be great again this year it's going to be great again the year after uh, it's in kansas city this year which is a great place for it um she has got no hotels because it's going to be difficult to go i think now but um but yeah i think it's uh it's as you said it, it's not the best term but it is a process and it's going to take a while but you know if guys don't pan out you're not left with much, so we'll see. But it's more of a evaluation of these guys, and we'll see. But there's got to be some big, hopefully, bounce-back games in the coming weeks. But I don't think Philadelphia, on a short week, is the one to do it because, you know, they run too much. They they, they have plays that they keep going to, and teams can't stop, and you see them do that every week. And I think we're certainly not going to have the answers. So the golf will be too much. I think we'll be here next week talking about something. But final point, trade deadline is tomorrow, I think. 12 p.m. Eastern, I think, 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Central. Any, do you see Cooks going out? He still played a lot of snaps yesterday, so um, I would take anything for anyone that's not a rookie, and I mean anything. If it's a 2024 seventh-round pick, I would take it, to be honest, at this stage. I don't really... It, opportunities to bring in players needs to be as broad and as ma- and, and as uh, extensive as possible. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not as caught up on the compensation as a lot of people would be. I think, I think a, a, a fifth would be reasonable for him. But the issue here, and the reason why I'm predicting that it doesn't happen, is because it seems like his contract being guaranteed next year is a hangup. And I don't know if he is enough of a difference maker for a team to want to do that. You know, like if he was like, it's, it's not like we're talking about Odell Beckham being on the market. You know, as much as respect as Brandon Cooks has, like that, like I'm trying to envision a team and I and we just haven't seen it yet. That's going to want that's going to be willing to do that. Like Green Bay seems like the perfect fit for him. But, you know, they're a little <laughs> they're a little frugal over there. Uh, you know what I mean? And and some and got some, you know, their track record on how they make decision makers with uh, with their uh with their skill positions, you know, with with their receivers, does not indicate that they would want to take on Brandon Cooks in, the, in his salary for next year. It'd be great for the Texans if they would for whatever. I'm with you on the compensation part of it. I'm just real curious to see how that part of it yeah. plays I think out. If they got on, four on teams, Cooks, you'd be laughing. Uh, a third, ideally, but yeah, that contract being guaranteed again, we just keep whatever reason. If it's guaranteed more money for rookies and pissing all the agents off, or you know, guaranteeing money, bringing back guys that, you know, giving them guarantees for next year. Kirksey's, you know, was given a two-year deal. Um, the second he leaves, things yeah. will be better. I just think, Stephen Nelson's a guy I'd, I'd probably shop um, 
think he's probably got some value. Um, Jerry Hughes has probably got some value on paper, just as a you know a twenty thirty snap guy in a game. But beyond that, I think there's 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 not many. You know, there's not many I mean, assets. I mean, there's not probably a lot of willing suitors that are willing to give up much. You think? What do you think is keeping Tunsil from being dealt? Is it the money? money. It's always about money or women, yeah. isn't it? That's the two. <laughs> and uh, isn't it? So yeah, I think yeah. he's his contract. Well, you can't franchise tag him because of the number he's on, because of all the backloaded money. So it makes that almost impossible. I think. Um, shout out to Troy, who I heard state that, and yeah. that's I'll cite yeah. him on that one. Um, yeah, I, I figure I just mentioned. Yeah, that I think so. No, I mean again, if somebody came and said, "Let's here's player. a here's a here's a third round pick or something," I mean just to to sell him to two and a bit years after two first and a second. I think I suppose you probably have to get at least a second to do it to make it work well on paper. But he's playing at a level where you probably want to keep him. Um, you know, as one because I think if you can get him and, and Titus locked in, I, I do, which I don't think they'll do, by the way. They'll only keep one or the other, is my, if I've had to hazard a guess. I just can't see them paying both. Which yeah. they probably should pay them both because yeah. then it gives you some sort of strength in, in one area. Um, well, well, you know what? I, th- I thought that at the time when they when they exercised the when they picked up Titus's option, but Titus hasn't been that great. Either he's got better the last few weeks. I think the first few weeks were ropey, but I think yeah, he has. He's grown grown into it. Yeah, but yeah, he certainly's not commanding. But, but it's a mixed. Bag. It's a it's a right. It's a mixed bag right now. You know, um, so like it's not it's not as easy of an answer as it was when they when they first picked up his but extension. I, I think though, from a from his, a his, his option, from a practical viewpoint to replace a left tackle that plays at the level Tunzel does, and he's getting stuck in in the run game, which he's never done before. And I don't know why that is this year. It's come alive. Well, I know why it is because he wants to get paid, paid again. Um, but the, but the, <laughs> yes, but the uh, but right. to find a right tackle in the draft probably a lot easier than it is to find a quality left tackle. And you can find a guy who's played left, stick him on right, and then he's potentially a succession yeah. plan. But hey-ho, yeah. there's not many there's not many option lines, but we've done about an hour and 20 or something there. So thank you for your time, mate. Always appreciated. Um, I'll let you go on. You go, yeah. I'm sure you've got 101 things to do. And go Astros tonight. Um, beat a couple of games. And uh, the antithesis in which the way the Texas have been run, you know, off-field, slander aside, I think, you know, talent acquisition development of young players, use of analytics, finding, you know, gems in the rough is something that they've done to a level that's unprecedented in the most, you know, pro sports. So I think when they lost to the Nationals, did they lose last year as well? They've been so they beat so yeah. fucking many yeah, of they lost, they lost so, you know Yeah, they lost last year to Atlanta. I was, Atlanta, I was yeah. sitting there in yeah. I was sitting there in center field watching that damn uh, those damn Braves fans do the racist tomahawk chop yeah, thing yeah. that they do um, uh, after they beat the Astros in our home in our home ballpark. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was I was I was there yeah, for the that. Astros, not, a, not a pleasant feeling. Yeah, the, you've had the loss to the the, the Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think if if from an outsider looking at it, my baseball knowledge is pretty minimal, apart from you know the games I've been in, what I hear about the Astros, you know, via via the Texans, but. I think if they don't win more, if they only win one out of that vintage of players, it's perhaps an underachievement. I think that would be the the biggest kind of regret for everybody involved. So if you get two, you know, the Rockets got those two all those years ago and you see the bangers, banners hanging up there, uh, people don't forget it. And, I'm, and I was in Houston when they won it. Uh, or I was in Austin the night they won it. And then I was in Houston on the day of the parade. 
and it was one of the best days I've ever had in my life because it was just the atmosphere, the elation, what it means to people, all those hundred lost seasons to be run so well, have this period and not to win more than one is a bit of an underachievement. So I really, really hope they do it. It was tough, obviously, game one with a five-run lead blowing that. So, But, you know, if, you know, the top three guys on the order come alive, there's always a chance, and the pitching this year's just been phenomenal from everything I've watched. So um, it's been it's been the big thing. But you never know. You're in a position there where the GM and the head coach might be out even if they win it. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very unique situation where you have a team that's been wildly successful and they've got such an uncertain future in management from the manager and the general manager. Like neither neither one might be back now. It, it seems like. Dusty Baker wants to be back and that Jim Crane might want him back, but it's an open secret that it's an icy relationship between the owner and the general manager for whatever reason. So that, that, that's awkward. But in terms of, in terms of what this means, this series, what it means for the Astros, their fans, the city of Houston and this whole run and the context of it all, like you laid it out between 2019 losing to Washington, the, the Washington Nationals, and twenty uh, last year, twenty twenty one, losing to the Atlanta Braves. Neither of those teams were supposed to beat the Astros. Like the Astros have been the favorite since, like ever since they won. You know, like I, you could argue in twenty seventeen when they actually won that the Dodgers were like they were neck and neck. That team, that series obviously went seven games, and those teams were evenly matched. You could argue that the Dodgers were better, and that the Astros just kind of proved themselves to be better throughout that series, but. There's there's no question about it with the Washington, the Nationals team uh, was not a, a team that was expected to be there. I want to say they won. I don't think they'd won even 90 games. The the Atlanta team, same thing, hadn't won 90 games. This Phillies team hadn't won 90 games, kind of come out of nowhere, you know, put their team together, make shift over the course of the season and not supposed to beat the, the juggernaut Astros. So if they lose this World Series, okay, if they lose this World Series, it would be the biggest disappointment of them all. And I'm saying that as somebody who lived through 2019 when that was a huge disappointment, when the road team won every game, which at disadvantaged Astros yeah. since they had the majority of the of the home games. Yeah. Now, well, good luck to them. Hopefully they're doing something right for the city. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's... Um, it's it's not often you get a championship in one of the major sports, so hopefully it can can happen. And uh, but you got three road games right to, before you get you bring yeah, it back. Yeah. Well, under underrated storyline here for you, for especially for you uh, being across the way, is that if this if this thing goes back to Houston, right? Uh, assuming that neither team wins all three games in Philly, the Texans and the and the and the Eagles will play on the day between travel. <laughs> so like so so that that whole city uh, are this week the city the American cities of Philadelphia and Houston are at odds cuz cuz the baseball teams are fighting for the World Series and their football team is about to come here and stomp a mud hole in ours. You know, we already know it, but right in between, yeah. right, right in between there, we're competing for a World Series. Uh, so we'll see <laughs> what a what a disaster would be for Houston to lose because you're going to lose to the Eagles on Thursday. But what a disaster it would be to also lose to them in Houston in the World Series 
on one of those subsequent days, whether it be Friday or Saturday. That all of that, all of that is in play at this moment as we record this podcast and something to kind of like an underrated city to city storyline. Well, so we'll see the, how it plays uh, out. Was it McLean said potentially there's potential for rain, so therefore it could delay one of the games and then push it back, and they could end up playing on that Thursday as well. So. Um, yeah, it is true. Yep, yeah, div- yep, yep. That's that's also that'll true. Yep. Everybody's. Att- I'm sure Amazon will be delighted about that if that's the, if that is the case, um, for all the money they've paid. But hey ho, Amazon breaks. But uh, we'll see what happens. Um, Brandon, appreciate you, man. Thank you very much for your time. We'll definitely. Uh, we'll maybe try and do this in Dallas or something if you get if, if we've got time. Uh, but we'll definitely grab a beer. I'm looking forward to that and meeting everybody there again because it's. It's uh, it's what makes it bearable, bearable seasons like this, and it's it's pretty tough. And it's, uh, but good on you for keep slogging. If you're still listening, if you're still grinding with us, then we appreciate you. So thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week to talk Thursday night football and maybe some trades as well, and maybe a World Series winner. We'll see. But uh, thanks again for listening. Turn up for what podcast? We'll catch you again next week. <laughs>